been gone a couple of weeks, and and um, while I was out, the whole Roe v. Wade thing came down, and uh, and at first I wasn't going to do a whole lot with it. I just thought, thank God, because it's something I never thought I would see in my lifetime. Um, you say, well, you had a lack of faith, Pastor. I call it whatever you want to call it. Um, but I do want to, I, I just have not been able to shake it, and so this morning I'm going to kind of talk about where do we as Christ followers go from here? And um, I don't, I try not to be too political in the pulpit because I don't think the pulpit is a place for, for politics. I know others disagree with that and that's fine. But this is my pulpit and so uh, I'm going to do what I want to do with it. <laughs> um, I just think that this pulpit, the sacred desk is a place to shine the light of Jesus and not get mixed up politically with stuff. But there's elements of this that um, I do think that we need to take a look at and just address this morning and then determine biblically where do we go from here. Um, <clears throat> first thing, and this, this is the opinion. All 213 pages of it. Justice Alito, I've read some of it. I have not read it all. I'm going to be honest with you. I have not read it all. It's not the easiest reading. Um, if you ever tried to read one of these things, it's not the easiest reading, but I've read quite a bit of it and, and I've read synopsis of it and, and other things as well. But here's the thing that we all need to recognize and know first off that abortion has not been outlawed in this country by the Supreme Court. Uh, basically they simply rule that no one has a constitutional right to receive an abortion and that that decision will be at the hands of the state. And they remanded it back to the states where it should have been all along. Um, now, many of the states, including for we had trigger laws that were in place, that as soon as it was overturned, that the trigger laws went into place. And there's a lot of, yeah, everybody's up in the air about it, and a lot of angry stuff that are being said. But there are just a couple of things that I want to say, and then I want to actually talk about what do we do as followers of Christ with this issue. First off, it makes the state elections even more important than they've ever been. Not that they've never been important, it makes it much more important. So as a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to be aware and know what's at stake. Um, we have a responsibility, biblically. Biblically, we have a responsibility to engage and vote and, and be a part of what's going on in our country. Um, but the other side of this is, I want you to see that, that what we're experiencing right now in this country is a lesson in perseverance. 50 years ago, 50 years ago, the Supreme Court made it a nationwide okay to have an abortion on demand in this country. And, and for 50 years, people have fought against it, they prayed against it, they've done all this active, they've done all the things, and 50 years later, now we see that it's been overturned. And I think that, that's, that is something that you can see, and whether you've got a wayward child or whether you've got... Uh, something going on in your life, that perseverance is a huge piece of what we do as believers. That people have been praying, they've been doing everything they can possibly do to ensure that this thing of all, someday was over. And many of the people that started this are not even alive anymore. But yet we've seen it in our lifetime. And I never, I never thought I would. I never expected it to happen. Uh, and maybe that is a lack of faith, I don't know. But what do we do? What do we do as followers of Christ in the wake of this, what do we do with it? 
I think in large part in our country, the reason that we don't have prayer in the schools the way we did, I grew up, we all said a prayer every morning. I know some of you were not even born in those days. But we said a prayer every morning when we said the pledge and all those kind of things. We don't do that anymore because it was, you know, it was taken out of the schools and all that. And I think in large part that we do have the church to blame for a lot of the things that have happened in this country in the 60s and 70s because we literally buried our head in the sand and said, oh, it'll never happen. But we saw it, it did. So where do we go from here? Well, the fight's not over. It's just remanded back to the states. Um, it's not been outlawed. Unless you live in a state that's got a trigger law that said no abortion under any circumstances. But I think there's just some stuff that we can look at and that we can do as Christ followers that, that may help us and may help the entire country at some point. The first thing I think is that we've got to stay engaged. We either, if you haven't been engaged, you need to be engaged. And I'm talking about, you know, knowing the, knowing the issues, knowing what's going on, voting, being a part of what it means to be a citizen of this country and, and a, a believing, a Christ-following believer of this country. All too often, we as Christians, we tend to vote our pocket, but we tend to vote what's going to put the most money back in our pockets, and, and it doesn't always work out the way we thought it would. But I think we have to stay engaged. We have to either engage, re-engage, or stay engaged. We've got to vote. Biblically, we're to pray for our officials. And one of the, some of the rhetoric that, I, that I've heard over the last decade or more is, is, is stuff like this. Well, that's, he's not my president. He's not my this. That's not my that. And, and here's the thing. We, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we don't get to say those things because first and foremost, we're citizens of a higher nation, the nation of Jesus Christ. And then secondly, we are Americans. And biblically, this is, what, this is what the Bible says about our elected officials. First Timothy 2, 1 through 5. I urge them, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. That's the Bible. We have a responsibility under God as a, as a Christ follower to pray for the people that are in office in this country. Whether you voted for them or not, we have a biblical responsibility to pray for them. And I don't mean this kind of prayer. God, heap coals of fire on their head and burn them up right there on national TV. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you lift those people up. We're supposed to bless those that curse us. We're to pray for those that persecute us and, do, do, and, and, and offend us. We're to, we're, to, we're to lift these individuals up in a way that is pleasing to God because the thing that I think we forget sometimes is Jesus died for Democrats and Republicans and independents and everybody else involved. He died for all of us. Well, I'm of this and I'm of that. Look. Above everything else, and first and foremost, what you are as a person that has asked Jesus Christ to come into your life and you choose to follow Jesus, you are a Christ follower first. First. Set the rest of the crap aside. Sorry. (laughs) Set it aside. Remember that we are followers of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He died for all of us. 
And we're to pray for people. Verse 3 of that same passage. This is good and pleases God our Savior. What is good and pleases him? That we pray for those in authority. So that we can live quiet and godless, live quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Second thing I think we can do, the next thing I think we can do is recognize the state of our nation. We have to recognize what's happening in the world. You know, and I know I tell you all the time to not watch too much news, and I, and I still stand by that. But you've got to have some way of knowing what's happening in this country. And just being connected to Fox News doesn't do it. Okay? They have their spin just like CNN and everybody else. Know what's really going on in this country. Dig down beneath what you see and what you hear in the news to know what's real. The deal is right now, oh, it's been overturned and, and it, it's, it's illegal all over. It's not. And honestly, for, as a Christ follower, that should grieve us at a level. Because I don't, I don't think that the wholesale issue of abortion, I don't think it's, we should, abortion on demand should not be legal in this country. Yeah, there's some gray areas where there's, you know, rape and incest and the life of the mother and all that kind of stuff. Those are areas that have to be worked out on an individual basis. But I'm telling you that the host, millions upon, tens of millions of children have been aborted in this country since 1973. This shouldn't be okay. Shouldn't be okay. You go back in the Old Testament and you, and you, see, you see in Egypt, the Pharaoh looked at the midwives and said, I want you to kill all the Israeli kids. Kill them. When they're born, you kill them. But you read the story and you see they didn't do it. Why? Because they knew something was wrong with the killing of babies. Even the pagans knew that in those days, in ancient times. So there's just, just something that's out of whack with that. It's contrary to God's word. It's contrary to all of it. Recognize the state of our nation. The book of Judges, specifically targeting and talking about Israel, you're looking at many times in that whole book, the whole book of Judges, you see this. After the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And here's the phrase that you hear over and over and over throughout the whole book. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served other gods. Over and over and over. Romans 3 talks about how there's no fear of God before people's eyes anymore. Romans. Psalm 36, 1, I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There's some elements in our country. When we look at our nation, we have to recognize there's no fear of God. There's no reverence for the things of God. There's even, not, not even a reverence for things that are right. That's the state of our nation. And it should concern us at a level that it grieves us. But instead of looking at people that are on the different uh, spectrum from us politically as enemies, why don't we look at them as individuals that need an experience with Jesus? Just because you disagree with me theologically on something doesn't mean that you're my enemy. Yeah, but we got it. No, you look at Jesus. Jesus never attacked the government. Never attacked it. He's tough on religious people. But the two entities that he never attacked were sinners and the government. 
Pharisees, whole nother story. Whole nother story. And here's the thing that I'm concerned about, and I just throw this out for you to think about today. Do you identify more as a Pharisee or as a Christ follower? Because the Pharisee is the one that looks for the little specks, looks for the, all the issues, and they hold, they hold legalistically to things. And, but then on the other hand, there's all kind of hatred and bitterness and anger in their hearts. But I think Psalm 106, when you read that psalm, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a synopsis of Israel. The whole psalm is a synopsis of Israel. And, and in verse 36 and 37, it said this, they worshiped their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and daughters to false gods. And I think that's what we've seen in this country. We've digressed to a place where that is, has become a norm. Oh, I'm, I wouldn't worship an idol, but yet we worship the idol of self. It's me, it's my rights, it's my, it's my body, it's my, you know, it's, it's all this. And, that, and that's idolatry. Because it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. So I think we've got to recognize where we are as a country. But then I think, and this is, where, this is where we start having difficulty, I think. I think the first thing, we can pray, we can do all those kind of things, we can engage, we can vote. And we can recognize where we are as a country, but then here, here's where we get, it gets real sticky, a sticky wicket. Here it is. We meet in the middle. Oh, dear God, no, that's compromise. God said, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. In the first place, that's not what that means which is another concern of pastors everywhere that we have such illiteracy biblically in our churches. Yes, Jesus said, because you're neither, you're cold nor hot or hot nor cold. I think is how it's actually worded. Because you're lukewarm, I'll speak. What is he saying there? Because he doesn't say, I want you hot. But Pentecostals, what we want, we want hot. And we use terms like, well, I'd rather have wildfire than no fire. <laughs> Woo! You know, I mean, it's frothing at the mouth, pulling the tie sideways, we're actually wearing them, pulling them sideways. <laughs> when he speaks to the church in Revelation about that he says, I wish you were hot or cold. But because you're not, you're tepid, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Now here's, as I, as I research, years ago I did some research on this because it, it never, I couldn't understand it. I was always concerned because it didn't, fe- the, way, the way it had been perceived and pre- preached to me years for years and years and years, it didn't make a lot of sense. If I sound like this morning that I've got a thing going on, it's because I got stung by a wasp right here yesterday. And part of my face is numb. I don't ever want Botox. <laughs> Very numb, and this lip feels like it's 10 times bigger than what it is. And it was yesterday. I mean, I looked, that was a sight. Anyway, hot or cold, there is a temperature with heat that everything that that heat touches is purified. There is a temperature at which it drops to a certain point 
when every, every impurity is frozen and it dies. So what is Jesus really saying to the church? I want you pure. But because you're wishy-washy, that makes me sick. It's about purity. It's about dependence on God. It's about recognizing that God can take you wherever you are. And because you serve him to the fullest, his Holy Spirit and his word does its work in you that cleanses you from all unrighteousness. That's what that means. It's not about, well, if you're balanced and you got, no, it's not about that. It has nothing to do with that. Balance is necessary. The entire universe, God set it in place. It is balanced, tediously balanced. Everything is balanced because God is a God of order. But when we get off in these tangents and we think, I'm hot for God, are you? Or is blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth? Because the Bible says it shouldn't, but it does. The problem with the middle is that you can't raise any money there. You can't sell any books from the middle. You can't win elections from the middle. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and one of the guys said something very interesting. He said, one of the problems in D.C. is that we no longer have, our congressmen are no longer residents of Washington, D.C. They've moved out. So they're not doing lunches together and dinners together. They're not doing community together. And so they can't find common ground to come together in the middle. And we see it played out. We see it played out. But you don't win elections from the middle. You win elections by scaring people to death and telling everybody you have the answer to their fears. Oh, the sky is falling. Come vote for me. I'll stop it. What you're going to hear in the next couple of years, leading up to the midterm, and it's in the next few months leading up to the midterms, and then before 24, you're going to hear, vote for me. Gas will come down. Inflation will come down. Keep voting for them, it's going to keep going up. Scaring the liver out of all of us. I don't like filling up my truck. Hurts. Hurts. I mean, I, I put $150 in my truck the other day. Three quarters of a tank. Didn't even fill it up. So well, you need to get a smaller truck, and that's okay. <laughs> I like what I like. But in the middle, in the middle, especially as Christ followers, in the middle, we remember that our pledge says that we're one nation under God, not one God under nation. And I think what we have to ask ourselves is this, because one of the things that scares me as a pastor in this country, is, is this whole Christian nationalism thing. I think we should be patriots. I think we should love our nation, but, but let's not get it convoluted. Because being a Christian and being American are not synonymous. But I think we need to ask ourselves, would Jesus choose the flag and the national anthem, or would he choose the people involved? And I think the answer 100% of the time is that Jesus always chooses people. 
Because he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so we have to find a place where, like what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, he said, to the weak I become weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I might be able to reach some. And that brings me to the next thing I think we're responsible for, and that is that know what God is asking of us. Know what God is asking of us as Christ followers. Micah 6, 8, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Justice means to treat other people with dignity and respect. It means to, it's a social obligation toward weaker members of society. It insists on the rights of the others. I will treat others with dignity and respect, and I will fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. And justice, and this is a thing that we, need, we, we forget about justice many times, and that is, it is a quality of integrity by which one deals with people in accordance with God's standards, not ours. It's not determined, justice is not determined by social status or prior relationship or hearsay or appearances or spin or not spin or likes or dislikes. It is an expression of love that is characterized by constancy, consideration, absence of discrimination or recrimination, and a readiness to cover a multitude of sins and wrongs. At a level, it's a holy discontent. It's a holy discontent. How many remember Popeye? About half of us. That's good. Popeye was an early superhero. <laughs> Funny they haven't brought him back with Marvel yet. I don't know what to deal with that. <laughs> you know, but I mean, you know, Popeye would, he would see some injustice and he would pop a can of spinach and, you know, boom, and his muscles, he had huge forearms and muscles. And, but there's a phrase that he uses all the time in the Popeye character, uh, cartoons. And that is this. That's all I can stands. I just can't stands no more. That's a picture of discontent. That's a picture of holy discontent. David with Goliath, he saw Goliath literally abusing, verbally berating the armies of the living God and the living God himself. And he said, that's all I can stand. I just can't stand no more. And he picks up five rocks and takes care of business. Martin Luther King Jr. saw the injustice of racial discrimination in this country. He said, I can't stand this anymore. I've got to do something. And he did. We've we got to figure out where we are in this process of justice. We've got, we got to understand mercy. Mercy is love and action. It goes above and beyond the, the normal call of duty. It's showing grace to the shortcomings of others, even when they've wronged you or believe differently than you. Fundamentally, mercy describes the persistent love of God that will not let you go. Where would you and I be when we were in our sin if God said, eh, forget them? But God doesn't do that. He constantly pursues. He constantly goes. It's a persistence that he stays there. And over time, we come to the realization that God is who he says that he is. Our mercy toward others is rooted in God's mercy because it's completely undeserved and it can't be earned. And we see that manifested in God's covenant with Israel. Because I'm telling you what, you're talking about a bunch of messed up people. I mean, God does miracle after miracle and yay, and then they get in the wilderness and they're thirsty and they turn their back on him. Over and over and over, down through the years.
Jesus on the cross is a picture of mercy. When he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Showing kindness to someone who doesn't deserve it and cannot earn it and exhibit it in extravagant ways. In other words, we need to be walking it out, not just speaking about it. It's a central attribute of God. He says, act justly, love mercy. In other words, what does he say? I want you to be like me. That's what God's saying. And then humility. And I think here's where we might be getting to the crux of the matter. Humility is a dedicated lifestyle that is in constant remembrance of God's grace in the past and his will for the present and a readiness to be guided by him in all of life's ventures. Humility involves giving God the one thing that he really wants for each and every one of us, and that's our heart. He wants our heart. He's challenged us to live in humility and faith and fellowship with him. But you know what's interesting to me? We're never told to pray for humility. Oh, God, give me humility. You don't want to pray that prayer. You don't want to pray that prayer. Because if God chooses to humble, then it involves humiliation. God brings you down. Pride comes before a fall. But what does he say? Humble yourself. Humble yourself yourself. Because those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. First Peter 5, in the same way you who are younger, submit yourself to all of you. Clothe yourself with humility. The word clothe there means attach a piece of clothing to oneself. And in New Testament days, Slaves fashioned a piece of white piece of cloth or apron over their clothing so that others would know that they were slaves. Peter's teaching us here to tie the cloth of humility on ourselves in order that we can begin to to reach out and, and we can empathize with others around us. What does God require of us? What is he asking us to do? It's through acting justly, showing mercy, and walking humbly with our God that we can see what God sees, and we can hear what God hears, and we can restore those that need help. But I ask you this morning, and that's the next thing that we're, I think God's requiring, and that is to, to be agents of restoration. How can we show someone Jesus and his love if we're calling them names? You're a murderer, but I want to talk to you about Jesus. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. You're screaming at somebody. Screaming at somebody. All kind of vile names and calling them all kind of stuff. And then you go, but Jesus, but God loves you. Ever been by a bar and there's one of these street preachers standing out there on a box with a sign? Turn or burn. And the screaming at them, you're going to hell because you're drinking. I mean, I wonder what the evangelistic turnaround rate of that ministry is. <laughs> it's the same way with, with the abortion issue in this country. We're screaming at people, calling them all kind of vile names because of something that they did. 
in the reality that they don't know Jesus to begin with, how are we ever going to show them God's love? How are we ever going to be an agent of restoration in their life if all we do is just call them names and be mad at them? It doesn't work that way, guys. How will someone that's had an abortion at some point in their life find healing and wholeness unless we choose to respect them and offer them love, acceptance, and forgiveness? Look, I want to tell you something this morning. If you, if you made that decision at some point in your life, okay. You can't undo the past. But you can know this morning, you can know this morning from me as the pastor of this church and from this church that God loves you. That God accepts you right there where you are and God forgives you. And so do we. And you're not going to find condemnation here. If you do, you come tell me. And I'll deal with the Pharisee that spoke negatively to you. Because that's a Pharisaical attitude. And it has no place. It has no place in the family of God and the community of faith. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. I don't know if I've already dealt with this, but I'll just say it again. Jesus never called a person names except for the Pharisees. And he had some things to say about them. So last thing, and then we'll close. Tommy can come. Second Chronicles 7, 14, and 15. If my people, my people, this is God speaking. If my people, if God's people that are called by his name, who, who we call ourselves Christians, name of Jesus Christ, we follow Jesus Christ, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked, from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. You want God to see you? You want God to hear your prayers? Then you better take this to heart. As his child, will you walk in humility? Will you pray? Will you seek his face? Will you turn from your own wickedness so that God can hear from heaven, forgive you of your sin and heal your land? And then his eyes and his ears are attentive to the prayers that you make. Maybe, maybe the reason your prayers are not being answered is because we haven't walked in humility. Maybe we haven't dealt with our own telephone pole in our own eye while we're trying to pull the speck out of someone else's. Maybe the real deal is that we need another dose of repentance and recognizing that the people outside the family of faith are not our enemies. They're just people that need Jesus, just like you and I. Amen? Let's stand all over the house this morning. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands this morning. I'm not going to ask for altar call. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to pray for you, and then we're going to say the Lord's Prayer. Because you've got to figure this out. You've got to think it through. 
Our country, our country will not change until God's church becomes more Christ-like. Okay? Heavenly Father, this morning, as we contemplate where do we go from here, in the wake of the Supreme Court ruling, Father, and, and the, where we are in this nation, where do we as followers of you, where do we go, Jesus? Lead us. Guide us. May your word be our standard. And not peer pressure, and not the crowd, not the political party and per- political persuasion, not even our own preferences, God. May we literally stand in your word. And let that be the guiding force by your Holy Spirit in our life. Continue to reach down into the United States of America. Continually, gently woo us and try to bring us back to you, God, as a nation. God, I thank you for the decision that's been made by our Supreme Court. I thank you for that. I do not take that for granted. But I also know there's more work to be done. May this nation, may this area here see Jesus in and through Generations United Church more than anything else. We give you praise today and we give you glory in Jesus' name. We all said amen. Let's say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. God bless you, Jimmy.